Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Sure, the Jags drop a game last night to fall to 8-4, and four, uh, losing ground in the race for the number one overall seed. Trevor Lawrence gets hurt. Plenty of losers from last night, but of course, the biggest losers of all are anybody that tweeted anything negative about Jake Browning in the last month or so, because that's what social media lives for. How's it going, Trev? We've got to talk about the game last night, and then we'll get into your mock draft later on. Yeah, um, NFL Next Gen Stats, I think it's Next Gen Stats, does like the the completion chart thing that everybody likes to, to tweet out. Mm-hmm. I randomly took Jake Browning's from last night and then Brock Purdy's from the day before. And I I, I won't tweet this because I don't have the guts to do it because I don't <laughs> want my mentions to be in absolute shambles. But it's kind of one of those things where it's like, this person just became the favorite to win MVP. This person is Jake Browning. And it's like the same thing, except Browning's is actually a little bit better. So uh, yeah, what I'm saying is Jake Browning for MVP. Those are the tweets where you you tweet it and then immediately mute the conversation. Like, <laughs> Delete the Twitter it. app from your phone even. <laughs> no, Just no, because so it did go the extra step. But this is the beauty of Twitter now is that you can remove yourself from the fallout. You just drop it and then hit the mute conversation button and, and leave. And it's like it never existed, right? I've, been, yeah. I've returned to tweets like on my, you know, you could get to the profile and look at your timeline. I've returned to tweets days later that I did that on and it went nuts. And I saw none of it because <laughs> I just killed the conversation immediately. It's actually, it's a miracle at work. Um, it is. It's, it's, it's better for the mental health. Yes. For sure. But poor sure. old, like one of my immediate thoughts coming out of that game was poor old Mina Kimes, friend of the show, is going to be taking all kinds of crap because... Like this time a week ago, she got into an argument with Ryan Leaf where she basically said, look, sorry, but Jake Browning is not an NFL quarterback. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And then Jake Browning goes out, has the game of his Mm -hmm. life. And you're like, people aren't going to have let that lie. (laughs) There are going to be some tweets. Jake Browning hadn't done crap throughout his NFL career to this point, but he just happens to go off in in the game Mm -hmm. that the entire nation watched. Yep. That, that's that also makes it that makes it that makes it tough. It was an entirely reasonable take to have, and then yeah, Jake right. Browning <laughs> goes out and does that, and you're like, yeah, people are not gonna people aren't gonna be reasonable about that. They're not gonna let that lie. They're gonna come after you, and I'm I'm pretty sure they will have. So it was it was kind of funny because the first I would say ten. Well, actually, even even in the broadcast that was leading up to the game, and then probably the first five to ten minutes of the game, the broadcast was trying really hard to make you believe that Jake Browning was good. Like I, you could <laughs> tell, they weren't even they weren't even doing it from a hey, like this guy, you know, like watch out for this guy kind of a thing. Like you could tell they were just like, please don't turn off this game. Right. Like he he actually could be good, and then he ended up turning out to be good, and the game was actually. A really good game, minus Trevor Lawrence getting hurt, but I'm sure that we'll get into that. Yeah, I will say it was one of those games where, like, you know, sort of your mind goes into, like, autopilot mode, and it wasn't until, like, 6 p.m. last night I was like, ah, crap, this is Jake Browning, not Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, not Joe Burrow, right. 
Um, if only there was a way, though, for poor old Mina to, you know, insure your tweets like you can insure your life with uh, Fabric uh, by Gerber there he Life. Is, folks. It there makes he it is. quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family like you would like to protect your tweets so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, hopefully that will be the most tortured transition of this show, and we will be in a good fortune going forward. So let's start with Jake Browning, I guess. I tweeted um, something after the game. I think Mina tweeted something similar at various points. That was a game I, I didn't think Jake Browning was capable of. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, that's, of course, like the way that you have to go about it. Anybody that was sitting here outside of maybe kin to Jake Browning that said that they would have expected this is lying. He basically had the best version of an NFL game that he possibly could. But to me, you know, it, it it's I, I, I kind of laugh because on the timeline, I think people were saying this and most were joking, but I think some weren't joking where they were like, see, Burrow's a system quarterback. He's not really that good because right. everybody, you know. When Burrow was coming out of the draft, Burrow doesn't have this like insane arm talent or these like, in, the, like this insane like these physical gifts. And so I think a lot of people have looked at Burrow and they've been like, "Nah, he's he's I mean he's like he's just like a system dude. He's a facilitator. He's a point guard type of a quarterback. Like there's a bunch of people that are better than him. Like a lot of people will use that argument if they want to say that Josh Allen's better than him. You know that Justin Herbert's better than him. That Lamar Jackson's better than him. Like all that. And so. Last night was kind of it was kind of these people that were talking about how you know, Burrow and Browning are like these system quarterbacks. And to me, obviously saying that is too far. But I do think that last night was a great reminder of just because the quarterback is the most important piece to the puzzle, that doesn't mean the other pieces that you acquire aren't good. Like we watched Jamar Chase go off last night. I mean, like, he had a takeover type of performance. We saw some huge catches from T. Higgins. You know, Tyler Boyd, all right, maybe not a great quarterback, but, like, Tyler Boyd had some good plays. Joe Mixon had some good plays. Like, this showed me that the Cincinnati Bengals, it reminded me that the Cincinnati Bengals have a really good offense. And and I think that those pieces that are there are still talented, even if it's not your, Joe Burrow passing them the ball. So, no, I don't think that Joe Burrow is a full product of the environment that he is in in Cincinnati. He is the most important piece of that puzzle. You're not going to hear me say otherwise. But last night was a good reminder of just because they don't play quarterback doesn't mean those really talented guys like T. Higgins, like Jamar Chase, like the latter, um, they don't bring things to the table because they do and they were able to show it last night. I thought last night was a really interesting example of, you know, a lot of times – we you get to a backup quarterback or a young quarterback or you know not the starter not the star that you're confident in and you have to change the offense and you have to figure out okay how do we get this guy going how do we put him in the best position to succeed and I think there's a lot of debate um, about how you're supposed to do that right and the the instinctive default approach for a lot of coaches tends to be let's run the ball on first and second down let's try and you know take the workload off them and oftentimes that can be actually work against what you're trying to do right all you do by running on first and second down is put yourself in third and long and now right, your young and experienced right. quarterback has got to execute third and eight instead of third and two or whatever it's just more difficult this felt like the game that all those coaches try and manufacture where they try and get him a bunch of easy throws early they try and get him into a rhythm and he gets there like he actually gets into the groove and like this was the thing about this game it started off, and it looked similar to what the Patriots were trying to do uh, earlier in the week with Bailey Zappi, right? Like, let's let's get him a bunch of easy stuff. Let's not ask him to do anything difficult. And, and his first quarter grade is, like, middling. It's 60-something. He was 8 for 8, 
but they were for 40-something yards. It was all underneath bubble screens, actual screens, mm-hmm. insta-read things. It was like one play where you had to go from one side to the next, and even that was a short pass. It was all kind of quick stuff. Let's just get him happy. Let's get him in sync. And then it's like he did. He got in the zone. Like they actually successfully activated Jake Browning. Like he got into that groove. And later in the game, he was just cooking. Like that first quarter seemed to get him into the feel of the game. And he actually did reach that sort of, you know, flow state that they're all trying to get these quarterbacks into. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there are a couple of plays that go a long way into that, right? I mean, I think that Chase Brown's long run goes into that um, because there's an explosive that you kind of weren't expecting. Obviously, the touchdown to Jamar Chase is like, damn, okay, because when you think about it, I agree with completely with what you were saying. When you go into an approach as an offense coordinator and you're like, well, we've got to kind of limit things a little bit. We've got to lean on the run game more. Well, what do you think the defense is thinking? They're thinking the same thing. They're thinking this dude's trash. This guy's not Joe Burrow. Let's get after his ass. And so you're going to play a lot of single high stuff because you don't feel like you have to allocate two guys deep. So you're going to play a lot of single high stuff. You're going to be able to stack the box. You're going to be able to get more aggressive. You're going to be able to play run blitzes. And so if you're just running the ball on obvious situations on – you know, especially if you get into these situations that are, okay, maybe we're not running the ball on first down, but let's do a short pass on first down. Oh, shoot, it went incomplete. Uh, now let's run it. Let's run it on second and ten. It's like, all right, you're, you're becoming so predictable at this point. The defense can get overly aggressive. But when you're able to hit a couple of these explosives and when you are able to, of course, put the defense on their heels, then all of a sudden it's almost – it's almost worse because they weren't expecting this out of a quarterback that wasn't very good. And so it almost shell shocks him even more. And I think the Jamar Chase catch that ended up going for a long touchdown on Tyson Campbell, that's one where you go, shit, what do we do now? You know, like they were not expecting that kind of a play, that kind of a throw from him, and it absolutely burns him. And in a very close game where okay, sometimes that they were ahead by a touchdown, sometimes they were behind. Like It was just a very back-and-forth one-score game basically the whole time. You can't afford to take these crazy risks. If they were up double digits, maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe you could stay aggressive. But I agree with you. You have to be able to, even with a backup quarterback, you got to be able to play to their strengths. There's no doubt about it. But you got to run things that are still going to be able to move the ball through the air. You cannot become predictable in what you do. You cannot just sit here and say, oh, you know, a good run game is going to be the best friend of a backup quarterback that's in there. Because where that is true, it's not just a run game that is the best friend of a backup quarterback. It is an effective run game. And how are you an effective run game? You've got to keep the defense on their heels. You've got to lighten up the box a little bit. You've got to be able to give them some looks they were not expecting in the passing game, even if it's shorter stuff. So it really did feel like a perfect game plan that was manifested last night for the Cincinnati Bengals for them to come away with that victory and for Jake Browning to be able to play the way that he did. Not to take anything away from him because he still did it, but it was a great it was a great game plan from what uh, that offensive staff in Cincinnati put out there. Yeah, Browning's PFF grade in the first quarter for that game, 74.3 and in from that point on, uh, you know, the second quarter into into overtime, um, it ended up being sorry. That's that's I'm looking at downs. That was sixty something, sixty nine uh, in the first quarter, um, nice. and then ninety one point something for two quarters two onwards. Like he went from executing. Damn, it was it was elite. <laughs> he yeah, hit yeah, the elite mark. He went that's from awesome. executing, you know, a very simple game plan pretty well in the first quarter to absolutely taking over. So 64.6 in that first quarter. So basically exactly average, just executing what he was asked, doing nothing above and beyond, nothing crazy, and then 91.3 from the second quarter into overtime. Jake Browning like found the groove that everybody tries to get those young quarterbacks into because this is... This is the interesting element, right? This is the crux of like the the Ryan Leaf, Mina Kimes argument. Like all of these guys that make it to the NFL have talent. Like you can't make it as far as this by being a total and complete bum who has nothing, like no ability to do anything. You're a talented quarterback if you've made it as far as the NFL. Now where Mina's point is you're comparing these guys against other elite quarterbacks. And even in this game, Jake Browning is being directly compared 
to both Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick, and Joe Burrow, a number one overall pick, because he's the guy not there. And it, it's in comparison to those guys that they look bad, right? But mm-hmm. I, a lot of the times the difference between that can be, do you hit that groove where you're just in the zone and you're playing at your, your best self? And Browning hit that in this game. Like, this is not going to be his baseline, but for three, four quarters, if you count overtime, like, he hit that flow state where he's capable of being Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence and doing almost the same things. He doesn't have quite the same physical tool set, but he shows that even a Jake Browning or, you know, insert whatever quarterback you like as a backup, there's they have the ability to tap into that zone where they're playing their best football, and that looks great. Well, look, all, all kind of jokes aside that I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is sort of a similar story to that of Brock Purdy, where Purdy's best attribute as a quarterback is how confidently he plays. He doesn't have the best arm talent in the NFL. He's not the most mobile dude in the NFL. He can't throw it from all sorts of different arm angles and flick it 60 yards down the field and all that kinds of stuff. He's not going to throw it on a frozen rope like you'll see a lot of other quarterbacks do in the NFL. What makes Purdy so valuable, what makes him so effective is how confidently he plays the game. Playing with confidence is the key to unlocking whatever talent that you have. And last night, you're right. And maybe it was a little bit of a slow burn for Jake Browning, but once he got into a rhythm, he felt like he was Tom Brady out there, right? He felt like, oh, I can make every throw. Of course I can. Look at us. We're, you know, we're not, we're not out of this game. The Jags were one win last night away from being the number one seed in the AFC. And by the time we got to that second quarter, like you mentioned, Jake Browning's like, nah, we're better. Doesn't matter. We're better than this team. And he and he believed it. And I think that's the performance that you saw last night. The what confidence can do for a player is take what is a true statement that Mina Kimes probably said last week, where she was like, hey, you know, when you look at his track record of who he has been in the NFL, he is just not a serviceable starting QB. Because up to that point before last night, that was a true statement. But it was the fact that he played with so much confidence in Whatever he is capable of, he will perform to the best of his abilities. And we have seen, to your very point, when you get to the NFL, if you play with as much confidence to unlock your talent, whatever level that is, you can sling the pill. You can play pretty good ball. You can go out and win an NFL game, even on the road, even in Monday Night Football, even in those situations. And so, hat off to Jake Browning and what he was able to do to just believe in himself. Because a lot of guys say that. Right. A lot of guys say, oh, yeah, like I've got all the confidence in the world in my guys. You know, I believe I can go out there and do this and that. But sometimes the tape tells a different story that the tape told that exact story for Jake Browning last night. Um, The other element, of course, we touched on it already. The the game plan, um, 29 dropbacks, average 2.1 seconds, (laughs) just instant passing when he was kept clean. Uh, But smart. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and his average depth of target was under five yards. Like this was almost the Joe Burrow game plan when Joe Burrow could move, you know, when he had a, a damaged calf and they were just trying to get the ball out of his hands instantly. So but, they already had it. So right. they already had it in the tank. They were and, ready for it. And one of the big differences between that and the Joe Burrow games is his wide receivers and his receivers generally did a lot of heavy lifting in this game. Like yards after the catch was 229 overall from the Bengals receivers. They averaged basically seven yards per reception after the catch. Those guys picked up first downs, helped Jake Browning, you know, did a good job, find the right place to go with the ball, delivered the ball where it needed to go, and then receivers started making plays after the catch as well. And that's how you keep drives going if you're not going to attempt those deep shots down the field. So everything was functioning, really, for the Bengals' offense, except in crazy Tyler Boyd pass. Could have done without that one. Mm. That's, all I'm, that's, that's all I'm saying. We, we, we could have done without the Tyler Boyd pass. That one was ugly. Uh, can, we, can we flip over? Can, can, can I at least talk about Josh Allen? Josh Th- Allen. That dude defensive, is yeah. unbelievable. I mean, what he is doing this year in a contract year he's he's tacking on like an extra three four million dollars per year onto what he was going to get paid before because of how incredibly dominant he has been and how without him 
I don't know what that Jags defensive line is, but with him, it's certainly something that you have to pay attention to it, and you've got to really be able to get the ball out of your hands pretty quickly every single play. Uh, and it just the way that I he was able to take over that game and the way that he's been able to do that, I think, so many times this season. What a performance for, from him. So I, I wanted to hat tip Josh Allen, albeit in a loss, just what he has been able to do this season and then last night too. Yeah, he's been one of the – He's been their their sole consistent source of pass rush for a couple of yeah. years now, um, and has has been a real force for them. Even when you know nobody else has really met him, I think there were a few interesting defensive performances. So Jacksonville's defense generally struggled. Um, they, I think, would have been expecting to have a big game against Jake Browning, and it just, it just didn't happen. Uh, even Josh Allen, who was one of their better performers. It was far from his best game of the season, even though he had a couple of sacks. But like they, they, their defense didn't dominate. Meanwhile, DJ Reader had an absolutely insane game. Um, Trey Hendrickson looked back for the first time since injuring his knee. Like actually, a, a consistent source of pressure, winning uh, all the time. And it was that it was his rush that kind of caused that Walker Little Trevor Lawrence collision that that puts Trevor Lawrence down with that ankle injury. Unfortunately for him, late in the game, Mike Hilton had a great game. Like there were yep. the Bengals' defense was the team that started making some plays, particularly late in the game when when Jacksonville was trying to chase it. And and that's not really shocking to me, right? I mean, I think that defense is uh, defense is just up and down naturally. So when people like look at a defense, and be like, oh, you know, it's it's maybe not as good as the peak that it was like a couple years ago or a couple weeks ago. Like that's. I mean, that's going to happen. Defense is just an up-and-down ride often. But Luana Rumo is one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. And I think that the pieces that Cincinnati has is still a postseason caliber type of defense. And so that, to me, was not really a big shock that I saw a lot of those guys like Hendrickson, like Reeder, like Hilton, um, like Awuzier. Like th- those players making plays just was not a shock to me because that's what I've come to know Cincinnati is capable of and even in tough environments even on the road even in prime time this is a group that I believe can have a really good performance any single week so uh, that was another good one that we saw last night no doubt um and then there were a few kind of mistakes across the board we talked about uh the crazy pass attempt by Tyler Boyd uh uh, Calvin Ridley drops that weird pass where Trevor Lawrence kind of gets out of the bad snap and just lofts yeah. it up and lands in yeah, his and then, hands. Yeah, and, they, and then and then he caught the one at the end. Yeah, that that was the penalty. It was like by holding. Calvin Ridley has become so frustrating just because he's so good. And then you will get plays like the one where it just goes straight through his hands, and you're like, dude, you got to be able to haul that one in. And then the one that would have mattered the most had it not been a holding penalty. He goes up and skies it and times it so well and gets in between the two defenders and ropes it in. And and he just like could not have been more confident doing that. And I think that's the Calvin Ridley that has shown up throughout the year. But it's been a frustrating part of, to me, I think the Jags are a high ceiling type of a team but i also feel like they're a low floor type of a team like the variance on what the jacksonville jaguars are this season is way the the gap between what they what they could be and then what they might be is is way too vast for me to really have a lot of faith in this team to make a deep postseason run because when i look at teams that i think are legitimate super bowl contenders I think about teams that regardless of where the game is being played and certainly in the postseason at home is better than on the road. But we've seen plenty of wild card teams win the Super Bowl before. The difference is, are you a team that can win at least three games in a row against opponents that only get tougher as the weeks go on? Sometimes if you're a wild card, obviously, you got to win four in a row to end up winning a Super Bowl. And I just don't have that kind of confidence let's regardless of trevor lawrence getting hurt right let's say trevor lawrence did not get hurt last night he comes out of the game but we'll still say the bengals won in the end that team is one that i i struggle believing can win three or four in a row against the best teams in the nfl can they beat one or two of them yes i think they can compete and they've shown that this year they have that talent level but the the consistencies with Jacksonville are not there to me like they have been for other teams. And so that's what gives me worry. Even if Trevor Lawrence ends up being fine, which 
Did we get an update this morning? I mean, is it like just an angle thing and you'll probably be out like a couple of weeks because that I thought I thought that dude was done for the season when we watched what he was doing when he's getting off the field. Yeah, I think he's supposed to have an MRI today, so we're not going to know the full extent of it yet. Um, the initial, the kind of the Twitter doctors out there in force last night uh, were yes. actually yeah. relatively optimistic. You know, they were saying maybe a short-term ankle injury, not, you know, a season ender or anything like that. Um, the Jags are interesting. They feel a lot like the Lions to me, where at their best, and not even at their best, but like their overall resume is building towards, you know, elite contender. Like they were... They, had it, they were in the running, still are, I guess, for the number one seed in the AFC, but they keep having these games. Like, just as you're ready to buy in, they have a game where you're like, not a chance. You know, they get stomped by the, the 49ers. They lose a game like this on Monday Night Football against Jake Browning. You're like, and this is the same with Detroit. Just as you're ready to buy in, the Lions drop a random game or get annihilated by the Ravens or something like that, right? It's like they're, they're sort of overall in the general ballpark, but I agree with you. Part of that can you win a Super Bowl thing is you need to be able to go a month without having a game like that, you know? Yeah. And the, neither yeah. of those teams seem to be able to do that so far this season. Yeah, right. Or, or if you have a game that is your worst game, it can't be that bad. You know, like it can't be you've, – you've got to be able to, okay, when we have an off game, we've got a couple of bad quarters – and we can turn it around. We can adjust. We can because that's the thing with the Jags is it almost feels like if they're having a bad day, it's like a runaway train. Sometimes, like it's it, it's like they cannot get anything right, and it's really tough to win a Super Bowl when that's the case. You you got to have a roster that's good enough to be to be able to pick the other areas of the roster up if some of them are having a down day. So that they can they can get to where they need to be by the time the game is over, and um, I just I don't know if Jacksonville's there yet. Um, the only other player that I wanted to mention before we move on is I thought Joe Mixon ran the ball really, just really hard, really well. Like he maximized what was there, and his numbers aren't great. You know, he's going to end up he ended up with three point six yards per carry, uh, only two point two yards after contact. He only broke a couple of tackles, but. You know, in a game, and, and Chase Brown sort of, I guess, outperformed him if you look in terms of, you know, overall number of carries and bigger plays and all those kinds of things. But like Mixon did some really hard running in that game and got some tough yards and kind of maximized what was there and in some pretty critical situations as well. And on a couple of plays, you know, was really close to breaking something much bigger, had another 50 yards basically as a receiver. Mm-hmm. There was a screen they had against a blitz where, Devin Lloyd does an amazing job to stop that becoming a huge play. Like he beats an offensive lineman and gets just enough of Joe Mixon to slow him up long enough for somebody else to get there. I I thought Mixon was a big part of that game, especially when you consider, you know, how much they were trying to protect Jake Browning with the game plan. I agree. I agree completely. I felt like he was. Yeah, I think running hard is probably the best way to say it. It felt like he was healthy, he was focused, and he was playing really well. And yeah, if if you're looking at the box score, it's not really going to jump out at you. But I agree, there were a lot of key moments, and that's what that's what the running back position kind of is for a lot of teams now, right? They're they're just really good complement pieces. Where sure, yeah, you can have the explosives that end up going for a touchdown or going for the big play on the highlight reel that everybody remembers. But a lot of times, like. Think of what Isaiah Pacheco is for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Pacheco doesn't have a lot of, you know, these 30, 40-yard touchdown runs that are incredibly explosive and that, you know, win you your fantasy leagues or whatever. But Pacheco is basically going to take every carry like it's his last that he's ever going to have, and he's going to run really hard for you, and he's going to have a healthy yards per carry average, and he's going to give you everything that he possibly can. That is such a great complement to what the Chiefs do in all the other facets of offense. And what we saw from Joe Mixon last night, to me, I agree with you, was that. Not only as a rusher, but also um, in the passing game as well. So he was a great compliment, too. He was a good piece. And like I said at the top of the show, it was another reminder of the Bengals have a lot of pieces. Like, it's not just Joe Burrow and no one else. Jake Browning was able to go in there and play confidently. And I think a reason why he was able to play so confidently is because Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, those dudes were all playing well, what they were brought in there to do. And so they were able to shine last night because of it, Browning was too. Of course, the other big loser last night was our guy Eli's prize picks entry because Travis Etienne came up seven yards short of hitting. So, you know, 
Eli is pointing out that his his logic was correct, and, and obviously the players are the ones that are wrong at this point. Um, but he's not letting it get him down. He's back. He's back with a new and improved Price Picks lineup for the upcoming games. Now, what he's going with here, TJ Hawkinson to have more than 52 and a half receiving yards, Nico Collins to have more than 57 and a half receiving yards, and Adam Thielen to have more than 55.5 receiving yards. He's got quite a long and lengthy explanation for these picks, which I'm not going to go into right now, but he convinced me that these are the ones that are going to hit. Guaranteed, an Eli guarantee. I'm not sure how much that's worth to anybody, but he guarantees that this is the time. These are the, This is the prize picks lineup that is going to come good and make everybody look great. Um, the, the, the Collins one is the toughest one. If he, if he hits the Collins one, I think the other ones will hit. Yeah, of course, Tank Dell no longer there, so you would expect Collins to get loaded up in terms of targets. So, you know, he's got a chance. Anyway, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I don't know if Eli is in the Prize Picks community plays, you know, along with rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. He I don't know. Be. I don't know if, if Eli's not, there as well. But maybe we can get him in there. Maybe we'll talk to the yeah. Prize Picks people and get Eli in the community plays uh, under the promos tab of the app, where you can see the entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. And who bigger than Eli? Uh, Prize Picks also offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your picks gets injured. Uh, For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Uh, Go to prizepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. And use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. You would think at this point that I would simply delete the words in the read that say call to action must be read verbatim rather than having to cover my brain reading that and not reading it with an um during the course of the read. It feels like a false economy there, like a smart person would just remove those words from the thing in front of you. And yet here I am executing the ad read like a moron. Anyway, you said it. I didn't. <laughs> you've uh, you've written a mock draft, Trev. What'd you say? You've written a mock draft on pff.com, uh, yeah. which we're going to talk about right now. Um, so I think the way of doing this, I, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, how are we going to talk about this mock draft? Because you go 32 picks, we'll be here all day, right? And this show's already been here all day yesterday, and it'll be all, here all day on Thursday. We can't have too many two-and-a-half-hour shows, so we got to come up with a way of shortening it. And uh, we're going to have essentially hit your mock draft with a few little categories. So let's start with uh, the quarterbacks, favorite quarterback landing spot in your mock draft. So in this mock draft, uh, the quarterback landing spots that I had, there were four of them. Uh, Caleb Williams went to the Chicago Bears at one. Drake May went to the New England Patriots at number two. Jaden Daniels went to the New Orleans Saints at number nine. But my favorite landing spot is Bo Nix going to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I believe it picked number 21. They picked 21, something like that. Early 20s, whatever yep, it is. 21. And I love this. I love this spot because Bo Nix gets to work with Kevin O'Connell. And we have seen Kevin O'Connell work magic with plenty of different quarterbacks throughout the season. Obviously what he has done with Kirk Cousins when Kirk Cousins was healthy, healthy, what he was able to do with Josh Dobbs for a little bit. It's like, all right, okay, that was short-lived, but it you know, it's Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs probably wasn't going to be a long-term starter in the NFL. So what he was able to do with Dobbs, especially when Dobbs came in brand new, didn't even know the playbook, didn't even know the players' names, and he was able to orchestrate that offense so well. Gives me so much hope for basically any young quarterback that Kevin O'Connell can work with. Uh, moving forward and if they're going to be picking in the 20s somewhere some somewhere around this range i think the guys that you would probably think about are bo Nix. you know we've heard the nfl is pretty high on uh jj mccarthy depending if queen ewers comes into this draft but i still like Nix a lot and i understand some criticism of Nix. okay he has less than 40 percent of his total passing yards have come from air yards a lot of them are yards after the catch that's a lot of schemed up stuff but I also think that the reason why he has so much success and his receivers have so much success with yards after the catch 
is because how accurate he is and how on time he is and where he's able to go with the ball with ball placement. So I think that that goes into it as well. The average depth of target for Knicks, lower. Okay, it's less than seven yards per carry, which is low for college football. Totally understand that. But there are still those moments where he is asked to open it up, throw it downfield. I mean, we saw in that Washington game even uh, just uh, just last week, the whole shot he hit in between cover two. I mean, that is that's that's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's everything that you'd want from an NFL quarterback. He's played really, really well under pressure over the last two years. And I feel as though what he can be as both a rusher and a passer, he brings so much to the table from a physical ability standpoint. I think he's got a really nice NFL arm. Not the greatest NFL arm, but I think it's really nice. I think he's got great ball placement when he is confidently throwing, which he has done more of over the last couple of years. I mentioned how much better he has been under pressure. Um, He has not turned the ball over at all this year, which is great. It's what you want. And I feel like if that's the baseline we're getting – for a guy like Kevin O'Connell to work with, I think we could have something special with Knicks uh, going to Minnesota. So that's my favorite landing spot for quarterbacks. I asked Steve this uh, over the weekend. He had no idea. And I, I don't know if you're going to have any idea either, but I'm going to give you a shot as well. <clears throat> um, there was a, a stat heading into that game, the Washington game, that it was Bo Nix's 60th college start um, because obviously <laughs> how long he's been there. What is the record now for like college? Because 40 something used to be like a massive number for college starts but now we've had this weird world of you know covid and and extra years and all this kind of landscape in the last few years and now you've got a guy like bo nix making his 60th start um i'm curious like what the maximum number is and we're now in this interesting world where for a few years i think the trend was let's grab toolsy guys they're all working out at the moment now I think we're going to start swinging back in the direction of that Bill Parcells thing. People like Brock Purdy, I think, are going to make everybody reevaluate and kind of go, you know what, there's actually there's merit to this experience thing again. Bill Parcells famously had like a rule that he didn't want to touch anybody that had fewer than whatever it was, 30-something college starts, just right. wouldn't draft him, right? I, I think guys like Brock Purdy and, and Jake Browning is another one of these you know, really experienced college quarterbacks. Bo Nix, obviously, with his 60 starts – I wonder if guys like that are going to become more, you know, fashionable or in vogue again, where that's seen as a good thing, not a not a reason to stay away from them. For quarterbacks specifically, <coughs> I'm pretty yes. sure Nix has the record. Now. Okay, so like that 60 is is I'm pretty sure that it's Bo Nix. It'd be hard to believe that there's somebody um, who has more than him at this point, given like you said the COVID year and the transfers and all that kinds of stuff. So I think Bo Nix does have that record, but I agree with you completely. Uh, and and. I even think, like, when I watch Bo Nix, he doesn't open it up too often. But when he is asked to push the ball deep down the field, I think he's got a pretty good arm. So I don't think that this dude is just this, like, check down West Coast offense type of a quarterback. Like, I think that Bo Nix can be that efficient, lower average depth to target type of a player. But then when you need to open it up, even though it's less per game i think he has the ability to do that so that's why i like him a lot because i agree with you completely that experience is going to come around to matter and we're seeing a lot of these quarterbacks brock purdy is certainly the champion or he's the guy who uh, we're talking about as of late who is that type of player and 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 to give that kind of a guy to kevin o'connell and people might be saying like i I think people push back a lot on this but you got to understand minnesota's picking at 21 like, they're not picking Drake May or Caleb Williams. They're not up at one or two. I even have Jaden Daniels off the board at this point. So if you want to sit here and say, oh, I'd rather take the the high athletic tools of Jaden Daniels, I go, okay, fine. But he's long off the board at this point. I like Knicks more than I like McCarthy, more than I like Penix, more than I like Ewers. And because of that, that's the guy I would want to see get to work with Kevin O'Connell. All right, favorite wide receiver landing spot. So for this one... There's a lot of different ones to choose from. You know, I like, I I really like Marvin Harrison Jr. going to the Arizona Cardinals to get to work with Kyler Murray. Like, I think that that's just going to be absolute magic. But the 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 pick that's kind of an obvious one, and we'll talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. a little bit later in our superlatives. The one that I wanted to highlight is Xavier Leggett going to the Kansas City Chiefs because when I look at Leggett. He was somebody who came into the season as a total afterthought, like maybe a day three pick, maybe a special teams player, really hadn't done much at South Carolina. And so for him 
to have the year that he just had this past season, it's like it, I, the 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 coaches, everyone around him was like, it's just work ethic, man. Work ethic is why this guy was able to become the dominant receiver that we saw this past year. And when you combine his work ethic and him kind of coming around to really understanding and being able to dominate the position as a wide receiver, he's six foot three, he's two hundred twenty seven pounds, and he reminds he reminds people, myself included, of DK Metcalf, like the type of caliber athlete he is at his size. I think I was higher on DK Metcalf than I was on Xavier Leggett that I am right now, but it's that sort of similar player. And for the Chiefs specifically, they don't really have that big bodied on the line of scrimmage outside X wide receiver right now. They just don't. They've got some field stretchers. They've got some underneath players, you know, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey obviously is Travis Kelsey, but he's aging. They need a contested catch, athletic beast on the outside. And to me, that is Xavier Leggett. And I would absolutely love this fit if he was able to go to Kansas City. So you have six wide receivers going in the first round and one more um, with pick number 33, you know, the top pick of the second round. So Mm -hmm. it's another year. And we kind of covered this already when we talked about the wide receiver class. It's, It's looking like another year of a lot of wide receivers that are very good at the top of this draft. Yeah, and and that's why like you know, we get into some of these debates of okay, what do you do with Marvin Harrison Jr.? Like, do you take him number one overall because a lot of people are going to have him number one overall on their big boards because he's going to be the most complete player in this draft? But you know, and, and maybe it's not even Marvin Harrison Jr. People have the same debate with Romo Dunze from Washington or Malik Neighbors from LSU. Like, okay, are you picking them above? some edge rushers that you like some really good offensive tackles that we have in this class those debates will come up and you'll hear a lot of people myself included just throw in there that hey you know it's not that these wide receivers aren't great and it's not that i don't think that they could be future wide receiver ones and really high impact players because they can be but it's just where the game is right now there's a good chance you're going to be able to get a really good wide receiver at least every other year whether it's in free agency or whether it is in the NFL draft, because there's just so many of them. The game at the college level is so spread out. The game at the high school level is so spread out. Seven on seven on seven skill position camps are bigger than they've ever been for these kids who are growing up in the game. And because of that, you are just seeing we are seeing more wide receivers become these dominant players before they even get to the NFL. And that's that's what's pumping up a lot of these wide receiver numbers one of the the biggest trends of last draft i thought was how many certainly in the first round just perfect team prospect fits there were you know guys that i didn't necessarily love in isolation went to situations that i thought were absolutely perfect for them to be Mm -hmm. their best selves in the nfl so what was your favorite team prospect fit in this first round this is a little bit of a shout out here because this is the first time that I've put this guy at the back end of the first round. And I'm not sure if he's going to be a first round pick. You know, I'm going through these final, you know, regular season film checks and and I got to watch a lot more of him. But Landon Jackson, the edge rusher from Arkansas, going to the Baltimore Ravens at the back end of the draft. Ravens are getting a lot of production right now out of um Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy but those are veterans and so it's not like you could depend on him forever I think Clowney's on a one-year deal I think Van Noy's got two years left but he's like 32 33 years old so obviously like they have Ojabo they have some guys on the roster but Landon Jackson is six foot seven 280 pounds and for the Baltimore Ravens multiple front defense he can play as a four-eye defensive end He can play as a three technique at times. He can play as a five technique defensive end. And he can even play as a two-point stand-up pass rusher in a a wide nine alignment or a seven technique or whatever you're going to put him at. So the versatility that he has with his size alone is something that I love for Baltimore. He can impact the game as an inside-out kind of a defender. I think that he's really explosive for a player that's his size. His length is obviously such a great attribute for him. And you can even see the beginnings of him really understanding pass rush plans this year. And there are a couple of reps where you go, whoa, the light turned on for him right there. And if we get more of that, because he is a young player, if we get more of that from him, 
I think that he could be incredibly, incredibly effective at, at a multitude of different alignments along that defensive line. So for what he could be for Baltimore, that's why I really liked getting him into the back end of the first round to introduce him to some people. I like that. The Raven, yeah, Jadavian Clowney, given the season he, that he's having right now, I would imagine is going to go and get a contract somewhere else, like finally get the semi-long term deal that he's looking for at this point. And I can't mm-hmm. see Baltimore being interested in that. Um, and they're constantly searching for you know, a, a group of defensive linemen to be in that rotation. Um, what was the toughest pick for you in this first round? The Chargers are a really tough team right now. Um, I had them going with interior defensive tackle, Jerzon Newton from Illinois. I think he's the top interior defensive lineman in this class. He's a three-down type of defensive lineman who you can count on him for third and long situations where he's got to pin his ears back and get after the passer. You can count on him for those early down works to really defend the line of scrimmage as well. So I think that that's a good pick. I don't really. This wasn't a tough pick because of Jerzon Newton himself as a prospect. It's tough because the Chargers need a lot. You know, the Chargers. I look at their first round pick and. I almost, you know, you want to pick like three or four players for them in the first round because they desperately need cornerback help as well. They need an outside cornerback for sure. The edge rusher, I know Kalu Max having a fantastic year, but he's still up there in age. Joey Bose is not the player that he used to be. They're getting a lot from Tui Tui Pelotu, but you need more on the edge, I think. And and if if Khalil Mack has any sort of drop off at all whatsoever moving forward, it's like, damn they're all of a sudden pretty bare at edge rusher, let alone the help that they would need on the interior, where I think all three of their starting, or at least two of their three starting interior defensive linemen are pending free agents. So you've got potential needs at edge, potential needs on the interior defensive line, big time need at corner. And then when you look at their wide receiver situation, Mike Williams is banged up. Obviously we are seeing him and he's not in the lineup right now. Keenan Allen ain't getting any younger and Quentin Johnson's not panning out for them. So it's almost like, damn, they invested a first-round pick in wide receiver last year, and they kind of need wide receiver. And Gerald Everett's a depending free agent as well. Austin Eckler's probably gone after this year. So the Chargers were the toughest pick, not because of who I gave them, but because all of a sudden this team went from a playoff-caliber team last year to the wheels have fallen off in a lot of ways, and including how you look at this roster long-term. They're also a difficult team because – so you're using uh, the kind of draft order, you know, if the draft started tomorrow, right, or the season finished. So they're picking number 12 overall. Um, But they're also – like you would imagine after this season, people are getting fired in that building. We've no idea who's going to be there making the picks, right? If their head coach is gone, if their head coach and GM are gone, if the entire thing is being blown up, there will be free agency to come. There will be a bloodletting on that roster of, you know, veterans getting let go – like the Chargers might be the most difficult team in the NFL to figure out what the hell they're going to look like by the time the 12th overall pick rolls around on draft day, you know? So I, I absolutely understand them being a, a difficult one. What about the easiest one? What's the, the biggest slam dunk on this draft? The easiest one is uh, basically whoever's picking number two overall two, because yeah. whoever goes number one is Caleb Williams or Drake May, and then whoever's picking at number two is, uh, well, the guy who's left. And for this mock draft, it was Drake May going to the New, New England Patriots. You know, I've, I've had some back and forth with some Patriots fans who are like, man, obviously getting a quarterback is, is big for them, but Marvin Harris Jr. is so alluring, right? And he's so talented. Do you pick him at number two over one of these quarterbacks? And I still say no, because you look at the game that, the Patriots played this past weekend. There's just no offensive identity with that team. They have no offensive identity right now at all whatsoever. And anytime that that is the case, sure, you can build a part of your offensive identity around Marvin Harrison Jr. He is that good, but they need a quarterback, man. I think that they, this team desperately needs a quarter, a young quarterback to believe in. And so we know that that's not going to be Mac Jones. We know that's not going to be Bailey Zappi. Uh, if they go out and they, they sign a veteran, even if it's like, even if it's Kirk Cousins, I don't think the rest of this Patriots team is where it needs to be to where you go, oh, okay, Kirk's in this lineup now. We're good to go. I think this team really needs to hit reset in a lot of different ways, especially on the offensive side of things. And that's why getting Drake May at number two with them slotted in that in that uh, position is is the lock for me. Yeah, I think the only question for anybody at number two is, are we taking the quarterback here or are we trading down for what would you would you would assume would be a, a significant draft haul to make that deal? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I, I mm-hmm. don't think I don't think anybody is, is seriously asking the question of do we take 
whoever the quarterback is or Marvin Harrison Jr. or whoever else you're, you know, one of the, the, the star tackles that could be in a different year, you know, the number one overall pick, right? Eric Fisher or whatever. Um, I think the only question is, do you take the quarterback or do you trade down to eight or do you trade down to, you know, whatever, get an extra right. first round pick, an extra player, and maybe have, you know, QB three or four in this draft. I think that's the only remote debate. Otherwise, you're just taking the quarterback. You're not passing on him for a different position. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, most boom or bust pick in this first round. Chop Robinson, the pass rusher from Penn State, is is the most boom or bust guy that I think we have in in the first round projections. And I mean, he ended the season with an elite pass rush grade again this season. And, and I mean, he's when you talk about athletic gifts, he's probably the most twitched up edge rusher in the draft, and that's why he's he's going to go first round. I, I mean, guys who guys who explode off the ball the way that he does. They're, they just have to get picked in the first round. But the danger with him is that his season this year has been very boomer bust. Now, a lot of his struggles kind of came in the beginning of the year, and he really kind of turned it on at the end of the year, which is good to see. But he had four games where his pass rush win percentage wasn't even 15%. But then on the flip side, he had three games where his pass rush win percentage was above 30%. Two of them, they were above 40%. So it's like this guy was either a complete takeover monster or he was disappearing too often. And so I have him going to the Falcons in the first round because they really need help at edge. They need athletes at edge. And um, he, he he's a great fit when you talk about need. So I think that putting him there, there's not going to be too much pushback. But he, to me, is the biggest boomer bust guy because if you're disappearing in college, well it only gets a lot tougher at the NFL level. So consistency, he needs to win in more ways than being just a better athlete than everybody. Cause he does it right now at Penn state, but even for him and how gifted he is at the NFL level, you got to be more than that. You have him going number 19 to the Atlanta Falcons who obviously need mm -hmm. still some edge rusher help. It would make sense from a fit point of view. Um, have you analyzed whether his boom or bust season is directly correlated to whether or not he's, wearing gloves and sleeves like are the bad games where he's out there bare-handed bare-arm just raw dogging it trying to win <laughs> uh if if i had my way he would be in the nfl still wearing 44 because that is an ugly edge rusher number but for some reason he makes it work and he wouldn't have gloves on he wouldn't have sleeves on like yeah. it would just be it would just be nothing and then actually maybe it would be the plain white sleeves but the baggy kind you know not like the right. not like the tight kind the baggy kind and then just the finger tape you know no gloves just the finger tape that's it so if I had my way, that's what we would. That's what Chop Robinson would be rocking. And in fact, you know what? In my Madden teams next year, that's what it's going to be. Anytime I draft him, I'm changing the aesthetic from him, okay. whether he likes it or not. I just think we should we should make sure we have all stones uh, overturned and make sure that we check that he's not just like because it's an easy fix, right? If we just have to give him the right drip and, and he's good, I can solve that tomorrow. I don't need to you know worry. I could take him in the top ten. Because all shout I got to do is make sure he's wearing shout, the right stuff and we're good. Out, shout out to uh, Dripper Skip from It's Just Football. One of probably my favorite segment that I've ever done for, for a show, which was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Me and Mike Renner judging NFL players' fashions before games. The late I mean, Mike that's Renner. just electric content that you can't get anywhere else. The late Mike Renner, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> again, not actually dead. We had people, you know, checking that, that the late people we mentioned reference on the mm. show all the time hadn't in fact passed on. Uh, we are, they are in fact just dead to us. They are perfectly alive and well. I know that because I was texting Renner yesterday. I unearthed, I, I went looking for my initial reaction to Quentin Johnston because I've, I've told this story in the podcast. Like my initial yeah. reaction was not good. And I, I remember like messaging Renner being like, are you sure this guy is, is not in fact bad? So I went and unearthed like January, whatever it was. I first get into the draft at the end of last season, January, mm -hmm. I'm looking at Renner's big board. I'm going through the top prospects, and I start wide receiver one, Quentin Johnston. And I, I found the message that I sent Renner on Slack. Uh, I might as well read it verbatim. Um, okay. Who are you here for? Yeah, it's, it's mildly offensive, but only to Quentin Johnston. He has bigger problems to deal with right now, so we're probably good. Uh, January 24th. Mike, 
are you sure the TCU wide receiver isn't ass? Uh, Mike responds simply with yes. Uh, and I reply with, he kind of seems like ass. And then, then Mike replies with, uh, he just needs some seasoning. And I said, I was kind of left with the question of what if Sidney Rice couldn't really catch when I was watching it? So that's my initial reaction on Quentin Johnson before I was walked back towards the herd and put him third in my rankings. Uh, the Sydney Rice but can't catch comp is unfortunately close. It's pretty right accurate, now. right? <laughs> like, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of people are also saying like Kevin White, you know, yeah. like just, oh, man. I, well, I'm not going there yet. I'm not doing it. No. You can't make me do it. You can't okay. make me do it. I won't I won't go there yet. Right. I will not go there Instead yet. of that, then, let's wrap this up with the biggest non-quarterback rookie impact from this first round. Who is going to make the biggest splash right away? Yeah, I think that this one's uh, too easy. Uh, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's a 1,000-yard receiver next year, no question about it. I think that him and Kyler Murray are going to be one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos that we see in the league if this ends up happening. I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going to get a house together. They're going to be roommates. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to, I mean, the chemistry is just going to be off the charts. They're going to be on the same like call of duty pro league team in the off season. Yes. Like that's what we're talking about here. So uh, Marvin Harrison jr. I, I went back and I watched his tape for uh, final regular season evals earlier this week. He's probably going to be the highest film grade player I've ever had. That's, I mean, that's that's the caliber of prospect that we're talking about here. The I, I went back and I watched some games of his last year because I wanted to just see a little bit of like, okay, where has he even gotten better or have maybe some of my concerns? Because I did have some concerns coming into the season. And last year I felt like in order for him to create separation, he got a little bit too handsy. You know, it was a little too much of, okay, I'm pushing off like with full extension in the hands. It's like, all right, you're going to kind of get called for that every now and then so that's not really a good habit to have you want to be able, either be able to separate with just your speed or being subtle with the body or you know doing it with the elbow whatever it is and i felt like he was extending the hand a little too much last year and i felt like okay the releases were good he obviously had a vast uh, uh releases to be able to go to to really put corners in a blender whether he was getting outside releases inside releases whatever it was he understood the techniques of really how to mess with these guys off the line of scrimmage but like the footwork getting into it, the foot speed, I should say, wasn't as quick, but he was six foot four. So during the summer, yeah. I was like, oh, I mean, it's just because he's big. This year, he is lightning quick off the line of scrimmage. The footwork is even faster, and I do not see him push off nearly as much when it comes to full extension. So even the small amount of concerns that I had for Marvin Harrison Jr. going into the year, he had improved upon drastically to where it's just like, dude, this guy's insanely talented. So this is the easy answer for biggest non-QB impact player in year one. I can't wait to get back to his tape when we start doing like for real draft study again because like I had a concern with his game, not like a glaring one, but just like, you know, you hear all this, he has no weaknesses. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I see some stuff that I don't love, but what was, what's interesting to me is that multiple draft people that I respect, whose opinions I, exp I, I respect, which is not everybody, right? Like there are some people out there who you're like, I, I don't know that you know what you're looking at. And you know, <laughs> what you say about the draft, it's not gonna change my opinions whatsoever. But there are multiple people who highlighted as a strength the exact thing that I was concerned about as, as, as a potential weakness in Marvin Harrison's game. So if I just saw some misleading tape or if I just missed it, like we talked before about Puka Nakua, how his tape doesn't always show the speed and athleticism that he clearly has. And mm -hmm. last week we saw that on display and yeah. tracking data shows you that, but the tape doesn't always like sometimes it just some, for some reason leads you down a wrong pathway. Like if I just saw some bad tape or was misled by Harrison's, uh, tape that I saw and actually the only concern I had is a strength of his well then we are talking about a truly generational wide receiver a guy that doesn't have weaknesses and may be the best wide receiver to come into the league in years in a golden era for wide receivers coming into the NFL like we are talking about this prospect that everybody that the hyperbole would already say is there so yeah really excited to dive into his tape and see if that isn't there this time um and he has has in fact you know, look like that. I'm like, 
<laughs> I was telling Renner, though, off the back of this Quentin Johnson thing, I'm going to get 15 guys wrong this year because I'm now going to swing the other way and, and oh, yeah. <laughs> religiously stick to my initial impression on a guy, even when the tape clearly shows me that I'm wrong. I'm like, nope. My first impression was, this is what I'm sticking with. I have learned the lesson. Uh, that is a, you know, that happens. It's uh, it's all part of the scouting journey. You know, sometimes you just let, you're just like, no, I will never get hurt like that again. And then the player that that happens with, you you, you like miss on. You go like, all right, well, that sucks because I kind of <laughs> liked him, but I told myself I wasn't allowed to like him. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the draft cycle every single year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all still to come because we're only in December, early December, in fact. But that'll do it for the show today. Uh, who Brad tomorrow, not Steve. Brad is showing up tomorrow. So if you have topic suggestions for myself and Bradley, fire them in to NFL podcast at PFF.com. We have an entire show to create tomorrow before Steve returns on Thursday. But uh, a big thank you to Trevor and uh, thank you all for listening. That'll do it for our show today and we'll talk to you tomorrow.